Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Bharat Kanodia. Welcome to the show, Bharat. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for being here. I, you and I were chatting before the podcast here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because I think it's one that's really important, especially as we get to this endemic, hopefully it is an endemic and not, not just a pause and it's going to go back up again. And I think for a lot of, uh, a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs who listen to the show, they're always wondering about the valuation of their business, whether it's because they're looking for a loan or maybe they're looking to raise money from venture capital. They're always interested to know where are they at? Are they building a legacy? Will they be able to exit? And if so, how much? And it differs from every industry and every business model, just like you and I were talking about. And then I think that what I really want to start with, Bharat, is you tell me a little bit about your background because you have such an interesting background in it. And as far as the, the projects you've worked on from Uber to the Golden Gate Bridge, Brooklyn Bridge and others. So tell us a little bit about how you got into doing valuation for companies. Um, sure. It was purely by accident. Um, it was my first job out of college and turned out I was uh, half good at it and uh, I stuck with it and uh, opportunities kept presenting themselves. And I just kept saying yes to each one of them. You know, I started out by doing simpler assets like machinery and equipment or schools or commercial real estate, then moved on to doing more complicated assets like uh, larger companies, moved on to doing large infrastructure assets like the Golden Gate Bridge or others. Um, and now I do um, the most convoluted assets of all, which are startups. So it, it is a, as the progression goes, the, I, kept, um, I kept moving on to more complicated assets over the last 20 years. Right. And I know in your uh, YouTube channel, what it's worth, you, you highlight a lot of different, not only industries, but different business models as well. So I'd love to touch on some of those, like the uh, NFTs, uh, domains, franchises, education. You pick one that you think is in, you know, really interesting to you that you've had a recent client that you've worked with as far as evaluation goes. And tell us about how you go about doing evaluation? Does it, does geopolitical, you know, the whole macroeconomics thing, the geopolitical, the social, the inflation, the gas, like what are the things that, you know, have a large impact in, in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, let's take NFTs, for example, most people I speak with, they're like, what is an NFT? Oh, it's not going to last a long time. It's just going to go away. It's a fad. I, I compare NFTs to say like, uh, if you say domain names or email, right? Back in the day, 20, 25 years ago, people didn't understand what domain names are and didn't think they needed one. Uh, but today, everybody, most people have at least one domain name um, and they know what it is used for. NFTs are similar to domain names. Um, they are a online or a virtual asset. Um, which can be very valuable. Now, individual cryptocurrencies may go in and out of favor, but NFTs as an asset class is here to stay. For example, the Yahoo Mail or Hotmail um, as an email service go in and out of favor, but email 
as a communication tool is very much here to stay. Um, so I, I think Ethereum or Bitcoin or what have you, you know, these currencies will keep going up and down. Um, but NFT as an asset class is here to stay. I mean, this morning I was talking to somebody, we were discussing about uh, Disney as a company and its portfolio. And I was like, hey, NFT as an asset class, Disney just probably doubled its value from what it is. Because now not only can you uh, sell Disney's experience as a uh, park to visit or a movie or anything or Disney Plus, but Disney can also sell its experience um, as a NFT. And whatever Disney owns, they can create an NFT on that. So, I mean, you know, they can make 10, 10 NFTs out of one asset. So what does that mean for Disney? I mean, I think that's just, you know, at least tripling its value overnight if they start uh, cashing in on this new phenomenon. Yeah, and I think it's that, that whole conversation about where Web3 is going with Metaverse is all about that kind of builds on the blockchain and will people adopt some of this virtual reality stuff? I know in my household, my son just turned uh, 12 and his Nintendo Switch, uh, a couple of the family members gave him, you know, gift cards that he could buy games and things on the subscription. But I said, look, buy the game, not the silly stuff that's like buying a virtual shoe or a virtual avatar because you're literally burning through money. There's no value. I mean, that's not like an NFT. I mean, if you're buying something to use in a video game like a Fortnite, it's just for the moment. And listen, I'm not knocking on these companies. They create the ecosystem and it's supply and demand. But um, for kids, it's a little different because kids are not, not as astute to, you know, the, the financial system and how it works. And so I'm not too big on that for kids. For adults, it's a different story. I mean, if people feel like they want to spend money on on, on the metaverse, um, be it. We're, we've yet to see if it's going to actually take off um, like web one and web two. Um, but I think it's all the rage, right? And to me, it's sometimes a little bit more about the the narrative from these companies. You know, once they've squeezed everything from let's say web two, what, how else can we monetize this, this, this like new place we're going to? So it's interesting to me, take a company like Peloton Barat for me, you know, down 80% because so, so many reasons you had the pandemic, then you had the sex in the city episode and a couple of others. How, how does, I mean, did you ever think when early on, you know, to say 10, 20 years ago that these sorts of forces could impact the valuation of companies like they are these days? I mean, it's always been effective. It's just the tools have changed. Um, mm. Valuation is a perspective. And if um, they hadn't shown, um, uh, you know, big dying on a, on a Peloton, it would have been something else. Um, mm. Would have been like, you know, their CEO getting caught red-handed in Bangkok doing questionable things. You know, it could have been anything. It's all about the perception of the company. Unfortunately, when your valuation is based on your future growth, instead of what you currently do and have, your valuation is very volatile. Um, because future could be anything. I, you know, I, I could say that this company is going to grow 10x. You might say this company is going to grow 2x. Who's wrong? Nobody's wrong. You, it's our perception. 
So when valuations are based primarily on future and future growth, it is volatile just by nature of it. That makes sense. In in, in one of your videos, uh, you mentioned that there are really three factors that that determine the valuation of a business. And it's a question that I often get. And so I'd love to get your perspective. I know you talk about growth, profit, and risk. With pandemic and all this instability now with everything that's going on with Russia, how, do you bake that into the risk, Bharat, or no? Well, it depends on uh, how much exposure you have with the news. Um, so say, uh, for example, if you have a large team in Russia or Ukraine, or if a big portion of your revenue is coming from the Russian economy or the Ukraine, um, then yes, it affects your valuation. But you know, say, for example, my business, I've never been to Russia or Ukraine, and I don't think I know anybody there either. Who cares, right? Um, but backhandedly, I can't say it doesn't affect at all because it does. I mean, look at the market today. I mean, it's down 2%. So yeah, it does affect uh, backhandedly, but maybe not directly. So, you know, it, 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 again, depends on what you do. Now, if somebody came to me and said that, hey, I want you to value a hotel in Moscow. Um, yes, it's going to affect that hotel's valuation. Um, based on what's happening in the news. A lot of listeners of our show here, usually they reference Shark Tank when we're talking about startups, right? Startups, startups, and everybody thinks of Shark Tank or The Profit even with Marcus Limonis. So those are just two of the many shows on TV that that kind of paint that, that whole startup scene or investing in companies. What do you think they get right about that show? And and, and I'm, I'm assuming you're familiar with both. Yeah, um, I like Shark Tank, but I like uh, the profit a lot more. The thing about Shark Tank, what you need to pay attention to is it doesn't matter what your valuation is. Valuation is just an abstract number. Uh, what they are, I mean, you know, to those guys, your valuation is a million dollars or $10 million or $50 million. It doesn't matter. What they are always curious about, why? Why do you think your valuation is $10 million or $50 million? And they're always, you know, looking to understand that, hey, do you have any traction? Do you have any revenue? They never ask about profit because profit comes later. If you have traction, that means you have a company where customers are writing checks to buy a product or services. And that's the kind of company they want to invest in. Mm -hmm. um, they would rather not invest in a company where the customers are yet to write checks to. And, you know, Shark Tank, in, in a way, what is very realistic about Shark Tank is when these sharks are also infighting for the investment. Um, I mean, some of it is Hollywood, right? Sure. But part of it is also true because investors are also competing for investments. So it's almost like a cartel sometimes, mm -hmm. right? They play nice with each other, but they're also competing with each other. You know, so say one round, Alex might lead and Bharat might, uh, you know, co-lead. But the next round, Bharat will lead and I'll say, hey, Alex, I want you to uh, co-lead with this. And I want you to bring um, your friend Jim to help us close the deal. You know, it, it really is a team sport, if you will, because the more people they bring to the table, the bigger the boat gets and the more... 
you are able to attract goodness to your system, if you will. It's interesting because I think that for a lot of people, you you know, before Shark Tank or maybe even before a couple of other shows that had been on for years too, people weren't as familiar with the whole world of entrepreneurship and how companies work and what goes into it, what's, you know, EBITDA or ARR versus MRR, like all these terms now seem to be very mainstream. And I think that Gen Z and millennials, so many of them, they see a picture of, look, if I'm, if I dream about it, I can do it. So I go and I do it. And you hear, you know, guys in the media, like Gary V or Tony Robbins or whoever that's out there, just telling you, go do it. Like if you if you want to start your company, forget corporate nine to five, go do it. And even if you fail, at least you tried. I don't know if that's a good message or a bad message, but I just think that the, that the the shows, while they do a good job, in a lot of ways, they make it seem like it's really n- no big deal to start a company and then go go raise money. And the reality is, I had a guest on the show here a few weeks back, Barat, who had been on Shark Tank. And, and um, he didn't get funded, but, you know, he just talked about that. You know, he was one of, uh, I want to say maybe 30 contestants at, the, at whatever city they were doing it in. Uh, and that the, the 30 who got picked, they're like 30 out of 7,000. So, you know, the chances are, are, are few. The chances are few. So for you, because you said you're working a lot with startups these days, what kind of trends are you seeing? Are startups like, of course, we know if it's SaaS, it's different because they, they want subscriptions and they want to build up that, that reoccurring revenue. But, but like a typical business, like a, if somebody's buying a franchise, like how do, you, how do you go about valuing that? I also had somebody on the show the other day, a franchise specialist, and she's talking about how you know, franchise is the way to go if you want to build passive income and this and that and the other. So if somebody comes to you and they're saying, look, I want to do a startup versus a, a franchise, valuation-wise, and I know that's a loaded question. There are a lot of variables, but wh- where do you tend to go mostly? Well, the problem with starting any business or trying to get funded is, the, you know, Eisenhower used to call it the um, military industrial complex. And now it's the um, venture capital and private equity complex. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's almost like if you don't take, or if you don't have, capital from venture or private equity, it's difficult for you to survive because you can't write those big checks for advertising or marketing your product. Um, Unless, of course, you're an exception. Um, And I like franchise businesses because franchise businesses help a company run on autopilot. Um, So I had done an episode on franchises. And if you have two businesses, they are virtually identical and one is a franchise and one is not a franchise, the franchise would be worth 10 to 15% more than the non-franchise business just because the systems and the policies and the procedures are um, vetted out. And and, in even raising capital, more than anything, it's a vetting process. It's a filtering process because people who are investing capital, they're going to do their diligence in making sure that uh, whatever business model the entrepreneur or the founding team puts in place is, so to speak, uh, passing muster based on the latest trends or the competitive landscape out there. 
No, that makes sense. That you answered my question perfectly. That's where I was trying to get at because that's a question I often get. Should I do a startup or I came into some money? Maybe it's a family office or something like that. And I want to start a business. I don't want to just live off of this trust. So should I start up something from scratch, even though I have no idea what I, I would be doing? <laughs> or should I buy a franchise? Even though I don't own a franchise, I always say, go for the franchise. Then you get your feet wet. You run that business, right? And, and then you figure out, okay, hey, maybe, maybe I do have some ideas and I do want to create a new product. There's a demand in the market that, that is not being served well. Talk to me about this whole world of digital with TikTok and influencer, social media ROI. It's a question that I, I typically get from a lot of companies like, how much money should I put into marketing and social media and creating content? And you and I, before the show, we're talking about SEO and backlinks and the, the value of those things. Th those are good things for the business. But when you're looking at a company, let's just say if it's a, a, you know, a growing business, do you go as deep, Barat, as looking at their social media presence? Do you go as deep as looking at their backlinks, how much traffic they're getting? No. No, I mean, if I have to delve into their social media account, I mean, <laughs> you know, their business entirely is questionable or, okay. um, you know, uh, that means they don't have the financial metrics they need. And venture capitalists don't invest in companies that have a big social media account. They invest in companies that have some kind of revenue or they're looking to invest in companies that have revenue growth, which may come from social media presence, I, um, I, I would say. But social media account is not something that is really valued as such when you're valuing venture capital or startups. Um, it may be a factor, but it's not the only factor for sure. Um, and social media or digital marketing is really a means to an end. You know, you don't really value the means when you're valuing the end. And from what I have seen is um, more than anything, content is king. So if a company is producing, creating content consistently, that company will always win. You know, so consistency in creating content is most important. Um, and video content is, of course, you know, the king of kings. You know, if you can consistently create video content, um, you know, nothing beats that. That's why it's... Um, difficult to beat Hollywood celebrities because their video content quality, first thing, of course, you know, they have the celebrity um, stature um, and then their quality of content is fabulous. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if your company is good at creating video content consistently, then you're going to have fantastic social media presence and which you hope and pray is going to translate into revenue and customer stickiness. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, and part of the reason I asked you that question is because a lot of entrepreneurs, startups come to me and say, how much should I time and money should I invest into social and content and digital? And of course, it depends on a lot of different variables. But one, one of the things that I like to point out to them is that, you know, if you're trying to get in the graces of, you know, Facebook or Google or any of these platforms, know that you're living on rented space because, the minute you say something wrong, best example most recently is Joe Rogan, even though you know it was disclosed Spotify paid him $200 million, they went ahead and removed 113 of his episodes for all the racial slurs and you know things that he had said in the past. And even though that's their, technically it's their employee, but the same thing, I had a, a, another friend who she's been an influencer for a long time. She's, you know, has hundreds and thousands of followers. She works with companies like Disney and P&G and others, makes 
really good money. It's a company. It's a media company. Ultimately, she is the face of the company with her content. But um, one day uh, last year, uh, Instagram shut her account off for a few days for no reason. She was down now, couldn't make a dime and had to explain to her advertisers as an influencer, here's what happened. I didn't do anything wrong. But the point is she even on the show made the point that I'm living on rented space. So I always want to create content that is on my website that I control, not the third party. So that's why I asked you that question. No, that's always the case. And you know, that's why when you go to anybody's website, they're always asking you for your email. And the reason they ask you for your email is if you're trying to write a book or if you approach any producers or if you produce anything, um, they will always ask you, what is your following? Um, and by following, they ideally want to know how many how big is your email list? 10,000, 50,000 followers. Because they are presuming that if you're creating, I don't know, a, a soft drink with your name on it, they, they automatically presume that if you've got an email list of, say, 10,000 people, 10% of those people will buy that soft drink. Mm -hmm. So uh, it really is uh, tracking um, your customer base. Um, and yes, your, if your customer base is on um, Google's land, then it is not as valuable if that customer base was um, on your website uh, subscribing directly through you. Yeah, no, that's perfect. What about what do you think about uh, SPACs? I'm, I'm interested to hear your, your take on, on all of that. And specifically because I was working with Alibaba for a client. And it's funny because when they came to the U.S. and they went public here, they were throwing a lot of money at the B2B side of things because for a long time, you couldn't sell your goods on Alibaba overseas. Only overseas can sell to America. And then when, once they came here, they opened that up and they were, you know, I had some e-commerce clients who said, yeah, sure, I'd love to sell to the rest of the world on Alibaba, right? So they're like like Amazon, um, but for B2B. And so they, they started to grow that, but but I know that they have a couple of SPACs. And it's funny because they raise all this money, Barat, with no idea who they're gonna who they're gonna invest it in. Like, what's your take on that? How does that I mean, you as an investor, um like would you ever invest into a SPAC? You know, I, I think SPAC is the uh, newest kid on the block and the coolest kid on the block until SEC figures out what's wrong with it <laughs> and clamps down on it. And uh, some until somebody pushes their luck a little too much than they should have. And there's always somebody who's going to push their luck really more than they should have. So you just have to wait for that to happen. Um, yeah. I frankly don't know too much about SPACs to speak about it. Uh, to inform uh, informatively. Um, but from what I do know is anytime there's a shortcut to taking on outside capital, that's never good. Um, taking a shortcut to take accepting people's money is never a good thing. Right. Uh, that's why crowdfunding is good, but there are guardrails around crowdfunding also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So what we'll do is wrap up today's episode with, with, with the question that I really wanted to ask you. It's something that the community has asked us in the past, which is, how do I know what my business is worth? Do you have a tool? Do you have a calculator? Or do they have to actually call Barat and meet with you? And then you go through all your calculations. Um, 
No, uh, think of it this way. Think of how much cash flow your business generates for you. Cash flow, net cash flow uh, generates for you on a monthly basis. Okay. And then think about how big of a loan can this cash flow sustain? So say if your business makes you say $10,000 a month after tax, think about how big of a loan payment can that $10,000 a month can support? And your business is ballpark worth about that much. Okay. That's a good way to think about it. <laughs> if you have no cash flow, like a lot of these startups that, that are, you know, they're building technology for the future and they have zero, zero revenue. I mean, right. Right. In that case, then again, you're investing in the future, which is why their valuation becomes very um, volatile. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a million dollars to somebody. It could be $15 million to somebody. Pick a number. Yeah. Yeah. It must be very hard for you. Well, maybe maybe not hard for you, hard for the companies that come to you to, to determine what that valuation is on future because, you know, who, who knows what, what the future holds. I mean, I'm I keep thinking of Peloton, you know when things were just going gangbusters, you know, I'm sure the investors were like, yeah, all right. And then now a year later, they're going, oh, not so much. So, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, these startups, they don't have any revenue, they don't have any profit, and they're lucky if they have any product, yet they need to attract customers, they need to attract employees, they need to attract investors. Mm -hmm. And how do they do that? They do that by making a lot of noise and saying, hey, I don't have any customers. I don't have any profit. I don't have a product, but look at my valuation. It's $100 million. So we got to be doing something good. Um, and unfortunately, that's how the startup world is now. Yeah. Yeah. Things have definitely changed. Well, Barat, thanks again for being on the podcast today. I think definitely we've learned a, a thing or two that uh, we didn't know about. And we're definitely going to post your links and your YouTube channel is amazing, by the way. So keep doing that. I thought it was very entertaining the way you move from frame to frame and, and some topics of the day, like, like NFTs, which a lot of people are confused <laughs> how to make money with NFTs. And I think you just did an amazing job explaining how all that works and valuation for companies. So thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Alex.